Hello and welcome to Inspiration Boulevard, the podcast where we discuss the creativity and brilliance that exists within the field of mental health. I'm your host, Alan Hyde, and I am joined here today by one of my best friends and fellow licensed marriage and family therapist, Andrew Hosier. What up, brother? <laughs> Holler. <laughs> Holler. <laughs> Greetings to you. <laughs> what up, man? I know we've been kind of talking off, uh, off the podcast a little bit, but how are you doing? I am well. Uh, it is quite, quite the period of life right now for me since I now have a little sausage. Um, so um, let's uh, let's let's clarify for for those listening. He's he's referring to a baby, <laughs> and uh, and nothing else there. <laughs> that wasn't a Freudian slip. He actually uh, yeah. had a child. <laughs> that, that that could be confusing. Uh, that's that's how uh, parental I am. My mind did not even go there. So. No. Um, yeah, you're, so that you're, is, P, that you're is, a PG pre one. <laughs> <laughs> Just, uh, give, give me a couple of minutes and I will, I will revert to my old, uh, my old rating scales of, of uh, not triple X. That wouldn't be appropriate after, this, <laughs> <laughs> after the sausage, uh, statement, but uh, at least rated R. So, <laughs> well, Hey, tri- triple X is welcome. I'll just mark it as, uh, as, uh, not clean when I, yeah. Uh, podcast <laughs> yeah. uh, bless our hearts yeah. <laughs> so but, yeah fill us in on on the sausage and and how things are going <laughs> with the with the new little baby all, girl and all, yeah all that to say i mean it's 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 uh it's like i was even i knew we were going to talk about her so in my mind earlier i was like how can i sound uh, eloquent and uh not, not an idiot but um <laughs> as I described this phase of life. I mean, it's, it's nothing you can really prepare for, you know, you can like read books and talk to people, but until, until you finally have, uh, your, your kid, uh, it's just, uh, it's, it's mind blowing. So it's, uh, I mean, it's, it's definitely, I mean, it's obviously the biggest adjustment I've ever, uh, gone through or experienced where it's just daunting when you have this human life that is completely, and this is, you know, this sounds cliche because every single person who's ever had a kid who cares about their kid uh, says this, but you know how just everything you do, you think about them before you do it. So like, you know, I'll be laying on the couch and in a moment I'm like, Oh, I just, I want to take a nap or I just, I want to go to unconscious land, you know, and hang out for a little while. And then in that, in that split second, you're like, whoops, like I have to make sure that she's okay, you know, or I have to go like just, and it's not about the nap. It's just like the, the most benign thing that you would think like taking a nap, you know, like uh, you're, you're thinking about your child before any and all of it. And it's just, I mean, it's beautiful. Um, It's a beautiful experience. Um, And it's amazing. The empathy increase that I've experienced now where people say things and I could like tear up, you know, or like when I look at codependence now, I look at codependent in a, in a way different uh, vantage point, you know, before I was a little more, I think, detached because I couldn't truly empathize with a parent, you know, to the degree that I can now. And now it's just like, I imagine watching her do something that's deadly. And it like, if that was happening, it would eat me from the inside out. And I, and then you can really understand that, that enabling behavior, you know, but. Yeah. I mean, it makes a lot of sense. And, you know, there's, you know, the obvious of, you know, things I've already expressed to you. I'm just, I'm 
happy for you. I'm excited for you, you know, and the, pan, the pandemic where I'm bummed is really kind of, well, it's directly put a hamper on me being able to meet her and I'm excited mm-hmm. to do that. That's, you know, that's the other weirdest part is like, we're, we feel like we're keeping her a secret, you know, like, um, you know, like we're, we're hiding her out until the world is ready for her and vice versa. But like, you know, which essentially, I guess we are doing, but like, it just, uh, it, it, it's weird. You know, it's like, we're, we're doing this thing and people, most people have only met her via zoom, you know? Yeah. And, uh, it's just such a pivotal period of her life that a lot of people like to be around for and it's just weird that like we are the only ones witnessing this this uh part of her development so it's kind yeah. of odd, but well and, and on top of like what a what a unique experience to bring a new baby girl into the world right as the pandemic hit i mean like right? literally as the pandemic hit yeah. katie gave birth yeah yeah it was uh and it's crazy because it was like when it happened like we knew like you read stories about stuff that's you know it still hadn't really uh i mean obviously it was a thing but like no one thought it was going to become the thing that it became at that point so like when we had her like it was right literally right before like shit went off in the news and then so in hindsight we're actually really grateful that it happened the way it did because then it worked out really well for like you know fraternity leave and right uh working from home and being able to be around more but like uh it was just uh you know I, i'm coming i'm having a brain fart to be honest with you but like um uh, i went off on a different i picked a different road than i initially attended but like uh it was just we had no idea that that was about to happen and so in hindsight we're we're actually really grateful that it i mean it, it sounds selfish to say because obviously this has been a heinous time for a lot of people in the world but like uh, it, it worked out uh, uh, well for us and that it didn't uh, hinder us to the extent that it, that it obviously could have but yeah you know and I, I i think especially during these times where where i found solace is the little silver linings for the the people that i love in my life you know yeah. and i think that's all we can do you know as we look at the news or, or even hear of, of people that are close to us who've been affected by these things like you know I, I find a lot of peace in knowing that you and katie and the baby are safe and you know, my family's safe and, and that you were able to get, you know, the leave time on top of COVID time to be with your daughter and attune to her in the ways um, that might not have been the same, you know? Right. Um, Exactly. It's just interesting to know, like, I I think about that from like an attachment standpoint, like what a unique and and wonderful gift um, that was afforded to you guys. Yeah. The, I mean, there's obviously like, pros and cons to everything and i'm finding literally to everything um there's always a plus and minus but um and it's we're just we're very grateful that uh you know it it didn't destroy us um and it's just you know you feel bad because so many people were destroyed by it but um you know just just grateful that it actually allowed us to be with her in you know in a way that we otherwise wouldn't have so uh you know there was there were some benefits that we were able to extract from the situation i guess you know and i think on top of that too you know being being a male therapist and and the individuals that that we work with and and then you know on top of having some of these pandemic things hit you know having that unique experience to be able to relate to people from you know, those who, you know, who knows, maybe even someone eventually listening to this who had a baby at this time to hear like, hey, you know, there's, there's those pluses and minuses. And, you know, it's a very unique, um, 
you know, experience, but I think just in general, like what you were touching on before, like what a, what a shift in, in empathy I imagine that is to bring a child into the world and, and understand, at least in our profession, um, exactly. what these things are feeling like for the parents who you know, have these children that are struggling or needing help. Yeah, it's uh, it's funny because now I have to catch myself because I have way more of a, a counter-transference reaction to the clients when they are kind of uh, dismissive as to the effect on their parents um, or like, you know, fuck them, you know, I don't give a shit. I'm going to do what I want. And it's just like, you know, in, in, in my head now, I'm just like, ah. <laughs> uh, I mean, I, <laughs> I can, I can understand where you're coming from. You know what I mean? Cause it's, you know, I'm also an alcoholic. Like, I mean, uh, you know, we can get into that more detail at a later point, but like, uh, I, I, my, my addiction was very isolated. So there's a lot of aspects of like the harming others that I can't fully uh, connect with or just not caring about what my, my parents or significant others think about my behavior. But like when I hear them make these fleeting statements about like, fuck them, you know, I'm going to do what I want. It's just like, God damn, man. Like that's, <laughs> that's, that's, that's really fucking mean, you know? Like, yeah. Yeah. Let's, let's pump the brakes here, man. They gave you life. Like, <laughs> Like, obviously, I don't say that, but like in the moment, like I'm, I'm finding that I'm actually exerting energy to keep myself from saying something, you know, that's, uh, you know, a little, a little too far, far in the other direction of being a parent now. But yeah, well, I think it's an important, per, you know, perspective to have as we work with, you know, individuals. And for, for those who don't know, Andrew and I have worked together for years and years uh, in the substance use just kind of <clears throat> walking with men and women in their 12-step journeys and their early recovery and uh you know just having that perspective now of like uh, you know hey how about we uh we consult with the parents if it makes sense <laughs> yeah. let's see let's see what their take is on it you know? right uh-huh. those connection pieces that are that are hidden at first in early recovery with our blinders mm-hmm. on yeah yes yes so recovery what's what's worked for you man i know i know um you and i have kind of walked in that journey right I, i'm a 12-stepper and um and al-anon right and i uh, i attend religiously and and you're in recovery as well and you were just kind of touching on that what's what's been unique and kind of led to some let's just say your brilliance and creativity in this field which which i have to say <laughs> is you know I, I love you to death i'm biased right I, you're my best friend i love you to death um, but I also really respect your work. And I know a lot of people that we work with do. Um, so I'm just curious, right? Like some of those background things that make you an effective therapist. And if you could shed some light on that for us. Well, you're very generous. Um, I appreciate <laughs> your words. I like sweet nectar. Um, <laughs> but I mean, it's it's interesting because like lately I've been, I mean, I think this is whenever you work in an addiction or you work in a, in a treatment center, um, you know, like it's important, especially as a therapist, not to like push anything on anyone. Like you want, you want them to choose, uh, what it is they're going to do. And you just kind of like, not necessarily thrust anything, but like, you know, you're just open to anything like, you know, and, and, and like, that's, that's motivational interviewing is a huge thing for me, obviously. Um, anyone who works in addiction, you know, it's, it's necessary to, have some of those skills at your, at your disposal, especially at the, at the onset of someone's uh, recovery journey. Um, but 
like it's you know it's being open to anything and allowing them to choose because if they're not choosing it they're never going to do it you know so and if you go too hard in one direction a lot of times people will uh, fight you just to maintain their autonomy uh, even though they may even want to do that thing or try that thing but because you're harping on them to do it they're resistant to it and then they go the opposite direction just to maintain their autonomy so yeah um, a lot of times it's just kind of keeping uh, allowing them to choose but like um, giving them the space to explore try something maybe fail or uh, not even uh, I don't even really want to say fail I mean I think failing is just quitting or stopping um, your your attempts at getting sober but like um, learning well, I, th from I think that's one. I think that's important to, to pause on that, right? It, you know, if you're listening to this and, and you're in recovery or you're early in recovery or you're late in recovery, right? You know, you're, you've been in this process for a long time. I think we all know, right? We're, we're walking this, uh, this path slowly but surely and we're learning every day. And, uh, you know, that concept of, of failing, the only, the only way we're going to fail is if we just stop and, and go back to the bottle. You know, if we stop and go back to the drink. Um, or the substance or whatever it is. That's I, I like that you stated that because, you know, even, even in the relapse or even in the hiccup and I was just having this conversation with a patient today of, uh, you know, he kind of feels like the moth drawn to the flame, right? Addicted to the chaos. And, you know, he finds that he, he had a hiccup and he found himself in a situation where everything was going really well. He said he was listening to this meeting and the, the speaker was saying, my neighbor kept coming out and saying, um, you know, we'd stand at the fence and he would say, uh, man, everything's going great. I fucking hate it. You know, yeah. <laughs> and that's, that's a lot of what early recovery looks like. Like what is this uh, sunshine and rainbows bullshit? I don't, this isn't fun. I don't like this mm -hmm. shit. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, and a lot of it, I mean, that's the thing too, is like a lot of it is just like, uh, like there's a lot of comfort and familiarity, you know, and um, a lot of people, I mean, I think when they're, when they're outside of the chaos, it's very easy to say that you miss the chaos. Um, whereas like, there's always a reason that when you're in the chaos, you try to escape the chaos, you know, and like you have those, those fleeting moments where you're like, dude, I'm sick and tired. Like I need this to stop. But then like you, you get help, things get quiet. And then, you know, it's, even though it's like technically quote unquote, healthy or better for you or you know whatever it's recovery um it's still unfamiliar you know and there's discomfort in that and so people take that discomfort almost as like a permission slip that either they're doing something wrong or this isn't going the direction that i thought it would like uh, you know i miss the excitement and the energy of like maintaining the addiction and and you know just like Cause there is a, a rush to it obviously yeah. outside of just the the substance there's a rush to the lifestyle of it and like they flee they flee the unfamiliar and they go back to the pain just because it's it's familiar even though it's painful you know and it's like learning to become comfortable with the uncomfortable of the of the that initial quietness or where it, what seems boring you know initially and then over time you realize you actually learn to very much appreciate um the the boring because it doesn't it's not boring anymore then it's just like peace you know it's yeah. it's tranquility yeah you know and that's yeah i was talking to my sponsor about this and you know we're, we're kind of talking about like that uh you know concept of serenity right that's obviously a staple in the recovery community and really shifting away from those like high intensity high dramatic high chaos right really quick situations that we get addicted to and then we find ourselves, you know, down the road in this recovery process and 
we've got this sense of serenity and, and then it's really a shift. And it's, it's funny cause I, you know, I know a lot of people who've made this shift, right? I've worked with a lot of these people where it's like, then those are the things where you look and, and you, you make the decision. And this is where my sponsor always refers to it as, um, you know, if you ask yourself today, is that fucking with your serenity? Right. <laughs> and, uh, you know, sometimes the answer to that is yes. You know, it's a little too chaotic for me. Um, you do you boo boo, but I'm out. Right. I'm going to go take care of myself. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, that's the, that's the other crazy thing about it all is like, it, it's just, uh, so many, so many of the things that happen in our life or the directions that we go in are so subtle, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's a lot of little things. It's not always like these drastic, uh, situations or experiences that knock us into a different, uh, existence or way of being or, or, or a different trajectory in life. Like a lot of times it's really subtle decisions these little uh, uh, relationships that we have with random people at random times and we allow some, this little thing to happen and then it puts you on a different course and then it leads to all these other countless decisions. And then uh, before you know it, you find yourself in this completely different world that you never thought you would ever end up in. Mm-hmm. And you're like trying to figure out like what, what, where did it all go wrong or what, what happened, you know, like it. Uh, and a lot of times it's just like a, the accumulation of a lot of little things that, you know, weren't intentional, um, which is the glory or the, I guess a lot of times it's the benefit of therapy uh, is that you can stop and, and reflect on, on your life and, and, and look at where you are now. And you can go back and to some degree um, kind of figure out what happened, you know, like where, what did, what did I do or what didn't I do that led me so far this direction when uh, all along I wanted to go the other way. And then you know, obviously you can, you can slow down, reflect and review, and then start making more intentional decisions based on what you actually really want and not just what you passively allow to happen. Yeah. Well, you know, I like that you have cho- chosen to gone down the road in this podcast today of discussing <laughs> your face, <laughs> of discussing, you know, what that therapeutic journey and process can look like, right? You know, and, and maybe for, for the archives of these podcasts, you could explain uh, a little bit of your perspective on that, you know, of what that process looks like, like how you would put that into words to maybe someone who's like reaching out to you, they call you on psychology today, or they found you on your website, or, or they're considering a transition into private practice from some of your other treatment. And they're asking me, Hey, what does this therapeutic process look like, Andrew? How would you explain? Uh, yeah. I mean, it's, that's a phenomenal question. Um, Philosophical. I mean, I think a lot of times when I, when I think about, and this is a side tangent and so keep me, uh, but it, it has to do with it. I promise. So uh, bring me back if, if necessary. Um, you hold your own boundaries. Be, <laughs> <laughs> be my conversational shepherd, if you will. Um, <laughs> Come here, little sheep. I got you. <laughs> but uh, like, at least for me personally, like, a lot of my addiction or alcoholism, if you will, was born from loneliness and isolation. And then the, the futility of my existence as a result of that, or the feeling futile, like, uh, you know, no one cares about me. Like, you know, uh, I'm not going anywhere. I'm not achieving anything. And at that time in my life, I also felt trapped because of some circumstances that I felt uh, were controlling me uh, that I was unable to do anything about. So then like, you know, there's this 
feeling of powerlessness and helplessness and, and hopelessness. You know, I wasn't suicidal, mind you, um, but uh, I was just very dejected about my future. Um, and so for me, alcohol became a very convenient way to, to exist in that pain. You know, um, I would, I was functional alcoholic, which is an oxymoron, I know, but like go to work, come home. <laughs> and then uh, I would, uh, you know, just in the, in the misery of, of, of reflecting on my experience. Cause like that, that is one of my, it's a plus and a minus, but I, I think a lot. Um, and I, and I'm prone to like thinking deeply about things to um, sometimes in a, in a masochistic sense, but like, um, drinking allowed my brain just to like shut off, you know, and I could just enjoy, I would just, I could be, I mean, I drank by myself, you know, and like, that's, that's when you really know, like, oh, this guy's got a problem, but, um, <laughs> you know, like, uh, I could be alone in a recliner watching everybody loves Raymond at midnight with, with some whiskey and everything was a okay, you know, yeah. like, uh, everything was fine. And, uh, obviously it wasn't, you know, when you wake up and you realize <laughs> what, what you've been doing, but like, for or me, realize that it, you don't remember what Raymond did last night. <laughs> <laughs> like I have to rewatch all of those episodes, like, uh, cause I blacked out, but <laughs> Um, you know, the, there, are, there are inconveniences uh, with addiction, but um, like for me, a lot of it was it boiled down to connection, you know, and, and ultimately uh, it was building significant relationships and where like, which is a part of like what I truly believe is, is the healing factor, which is, it sounds cliche, but like a lot of times we find ourselves in these positions where we feel like we don't matter, uh, you know, like what's like not suicidal in the sense but like we're just like kind of floating through life and then when we meet someone who reflects to us or we we form this significant relationship however it happens whether it's a friend or it could even be romantic um whatever but you see someone and you connect with them and it's almost like they remind you that like you matter like you're significant the choices you make actually have some weight some value to them and it's almost like it, it reminds you that, um, you know, you should take yourself seriously and you should actually try because you want to continue this relationship. You want to maintain this connection. You want to keep, uh, keep moving forward because, you know, you're enjoying connecting with this human being. And um, so for me, I mean, that was ultimately when I reflect on my life, that, that, that was the most uh, powerful aspect of my recovery, which I think is the healing factor of, 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 of the therapy as well. Um, and I think a lot of people, they, they, they very passively or cavalierly say that, but I don't think they really, sometimes they mean it. Um, it's, you know, it's, it's become cliche to say that the relationship is the healer in therapy, but I think a lot of times people lose sight of that. And um, for me, that was the most powerful thing that put my life back on a different trajectory um, was forming these really significant relationships that reminded me that I had value. And then I started to take myself seriously again. And it would, you know, there's a domino effect, you know, and you, you go yeah. from there. But yeah, you know, I, I think that concept, right? Like, you know, with us, like you and I walking in this, this path almost to a T with, with the same experience, right? Up until a certain point when we, we took some 
some turns and we went different ways in our careers, right? We're coming up on almost eight years of, of studying and practicing in this field, which blows my mind. I remember those early conversations in the first year or two of like, man, can you, can you imagine what it'll be like at like the 10 year mark? And we're almost there. We're almost, it's yeah. crazy. It's crazy. Sure. Like, even as I hear you say that, right? Like the, the relationship is a healing factor. I remember when we, we had a few of those professors and you and I jived with that, right? We understood that. I think on, on a level, you know, not to knock any of our, our classmates because they're all brilliant in their own ways. Um, but, you know, one, one of the reasons I always connected with you is I, I think before we even really understood the gravity is, you know, we're, we're both 12-steppers uh, in recovery, and, you know, and, and really needed that connection. And, and I think it takes on a lot of different meaning, um, at least, you know, if I speak for myself, but even what I'm hearing you sharing is, um, well, that, that meant a whole hell of a lot to me as part of what saved my life, you know, cause right. I've been to some real dark places. Um, and so I know when someone walks in and they're, they're going, going through it, I know that, uh, that they'll, they can get through it, but also that part of getting through that is maybe the conversation they have with me today. Mm-hmm. Uh, be- because, yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't, I don't, I don't mean to interrupt, but like that, like, I don't want that, that on the past because, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I firmly believe that a lot of people are are one relationship or one conversation away from going in a completely different direction, you know, sure. and you don't know it until hindsight. But like, I've just had so many experiences where like someone was just kind of over it, if you will, or just like they were ready just to like commit to the lifestyle of addiction and just like let bygones be bygones, bygones, bygones be bygones. And, uh, <laughs> and just just you know uh kind of uh acquiesce or give up you know just uh you know choose apathy if you will um and then they have this conversation you know could be with anyone that doesn't have, i'm not saying it was just me but like um they have this conversation that just reminds them that like huh you know like uh, i don't i don't actually have to do this anymore you know like or like actually i there is uh, there is some some value to my existence um and you know i've I've just kind of forgotten it you know and this person reminded me you know a lot of times a lot of us just need to be reminded that that uh there, there's more to us than than we've uh, started to believe yeah well and i think the acceptance of that rebellion too you know like i i used to be the therapist in, in the beginning that would would try to validate until the cows come home of like you have value you have worth and yeah. and don't get me wrong that's still the undertone and complete message that i'm trying to send and, and that's what i believe in my heart um but i found much more success of just validating that rebellion you know mm-hmm. hey uh i i recognize that uh, you want to make this change and a huge part of you says fuck it i don't want to make this change uh, because yeah. guess what? I've been there too. And and that's where I like, I, I really appreciate that, that concept you were saying of like, you know, sometimes we get so isolated and so alone in that like hurt and pain and fear and sadness where it's like, you know, I feel like no one's there, you know? And then we open our eyes and realize, man, there's like a hundred people out here who actually really fucking like, me, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and I imagine that's the case for, for any addict or, or substance user that we've ever come across. It's just in our addiction or, or in our process of, uh, emotionally or mentally, boy, do we let ourselves forget that first. Mm-hmm. Well, and I, I, mean, I feel like we're touching on a lot of the things that I think make uh, AA or any real uh, 12-step program or any program really um, effective or powerful, you know, um, I mean, 
I mean, when I think about AA, like, and, and I, I love AA, um, and um, I'm not, I don't know, uh, I'm not trying to, like, I don't think this is negative, but, like, I think AA is, is, is effective. <laughs> so, today, Junior. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, don't, I think AA is, is uh, helpful, not for as many of the things that AA espouses that it's helpful, like, uh, and, and it was probably poorly worded, but, like, I think it's it's more powerful um for for different reasons than what they say you know i right. think you know they they have all of the, the the steps and all that stuff which i think obviously it's not really the steps but it's like the, the the manner of living or the principles that are that are implicit in the steps that you know teach you to you know uh, you know accepting that you there's some things you just can't change that you need to accept uh that you need help with um and then and seeking power from from something or someone that's more more powerful than you to help you through this process and walk you through it admitting what you've done wrong then you know uh, disclosing it to someone else you can have that catharsis and relief of of just you know being known by another human being and then actually going and trying to make amends for the people that you've hurt you know and then ultimately helping others uh, as a result because any addiction um is essentially just taking, you know, like we're just taking, like we prioritize our well-being, and um, it's not a coincidence that when when you when it's all said and done, the main intervention in order to maintain your sobriety is to give, you know, it's it's to no longer just take, it's to give now, uh, to give what you what you've freely received, and um, almost sounds biblical, but like, um, but what I think honestly is the most powerful aspect of, of AA or any of those programs is literally just the community. And it's just the, it's, you know, if you played sports or done anything, it's the power. I mean, a, it's, it's a, a, there's an inherent human need for belonging um, to have your squad, if you will. Um, and you can use any tribe or whatever you want to call it, but like, AA becomes this tribe or squad where it's like all these people that you can identify with and relate with and feel comfortable with because you know to some extent obviously not perfectly but to some degree they can they can understand and relate with an aspect of you that is extremely painful Um, and everyone is on this unified path of all wanting the same thing and they provide each other the encouragement and the support and the accountability um to to pursue this this same end goal you know and it's you know it's like it's like playing on a sports team you know where you're all trying to do the same thing everyone has their role everyone plays their part you know it's it's you you, you need the whole the whole thing the whole system you know that's why treatment centers and aa are, are social programs they're not yeah. it's not something you do online by yourself you know you do it within the context of a relationship because that's where the real power is Right. Well, it reminds me, and you may have heard of this book too, The um, Spirituality of Imperfection. You ever heard of that mm-hmm. book? You know, there, there's a concept in that book um, that talks directly about, right, what you were just touching on in the community aspect too, of like, why does uh, an individual um, in AA connect with another individual in AA and Al-Anon the same or SLAA, which is sex and love addiction, right? What, what is it about these programs, right? And, and not just 12-step programs, but these communities that are allowing each other, like these people to come together and, and help each other. It's because they have that lived experience, right? And there's something spiritual about that. Now, I don't care if your higher power is a Christian sense of God, a Hindu sense of a higher power, 
right? Or, or Muslim or Catholic, whatever your sense of a higher power is, or My if you're agnostic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, if your mustache is your higher power, yeah. just yeah. something bigger than you. And if, you, if you're listening to this, Andrew has a huge mustache. <laughs> <laughs> right? but, uh, but just something that, that you can turn it over to. Uh, but I digress on that, right? Whatever your spirituality is, I think there's something found in the gathering of someone who's had that lived experience. You know, and well, and the other, I think the other, one of the other very powerful things about, about it is that when you think about culture and society and everyday normal life, um, like what, typically what draws you to someone? I mean, and, and uh, I mean, I, I'm looking for a specific answer, but like, oh, you, <laughs> like are you looking uh, for me to answer that? <laughs> well, in, you want the unadulterated normal... answer? You want the, I'm just kidding. <laughs> and like, in a normal world, quote, 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 like, you know, quote, 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 unquote. But like uh, in society, uh, as we are familiar with, or like we are attracted to other people uh, for the things that that set them apart, for the things that 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 make them either uh, sexy, if you will, or, or or sought out or the things that that make them stand out, uh, you know, or we're like whether it's like you see their car. Or, you know, and they have a, like a, an amazing six-figure car. They have a beautiful house on the ocean. Or um, their clothes. They have all designer clothes. Or, you know, like all of these status symbol things where you're like, you see this person and they look shiny and they look pretty. And they're like, oh, that person must have their shit together. Like, uh, that person is the shit. Like, I want to know how. Like, how? what do you do for a living? How do, how do you make that much money? Like, all that stuff like that's typically those are the things that that were like you know the big shiny shit um which i digress is that i think the inverse of that is what makes aa so powerful is that um you are literally connecting on the thing that you are the most ashamed of you know Mm. which is this thing that you can't uh, you feel like you can't overcome that has has pushed you into isolation and secrecy and just a, a position of shame where you like literally you don't want anyone to know that that this thing uh, is going on you know like a, you like a lot of even people within within addicts or addiction you know like uh, alcoholics are always very clear to, to make make it well known that they're just alcoholics that they're not right. IV heroin users or like you know like there's these lines in the sand even within the the addiction field for sure for sure but like the power i think that's one of the other things that's most powerful is that there's like there's no hiding if you will and obviously uh, i'm not making an absolute statement like you can still hide within the program of aa if you're not sincere and open and vulnerable but like when you just walking through that door is essentially just taking off all of your clothes and coming in naked and being like well this this is this is what I am you know this is this is me you know like uh, take it or leave it like but please take it (laughs) you know like um but I mean it's just this 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 connection about over the thing you're most vulnerable about and it's uh there's a lot of power um and vitality in that yeah you know I I think what a wonderful point right In, in our society at least western culture it's like ooh, is that a Lamborghini you know, ooh, is that, you know, a six-bedroom mansion on uh, the West Coast uh, Pacific Beach here? Like, it's wonderful, right? I'm yeah. drawn to you. And how many times, especially living in Orange County, right, do, do we hear that conversation or, or just see it? You walk outside, you see it. Um, mm-hmm. 
and, and I love the contrast of the program, you know, and I know we've kind of, you know, gone down the rabbit hole of talking about um, recovery, but, you know, to each their own. Um, but I love that contrast just in our mental health, right? And I think that's the real conversation that uh, the society, you know, can start having. And if they want, right, we're in, a, I think, at a, at a crucial time where we have that decision to make of when I look at someone, what do I really see? Right? And what is it when I look at someone that makes me say, I want that, right? And I think what we're finding now in the face of this pandemic and, and what we already knew, right? People are already having this conversation. I think what we're, we're realizing more and more is that uh, during this time, what I don't want is your car. What I want is your serenity. How do I get me some of that? That juicy mm-hmm. action, right? And, and I'm very, I, like, I, I can't tell you enough, man. I've been very thankful. To, to be in therapy and to be in program during this time, like, dude, talk about um, controlling the controllables. I've stayed at a state of peace, you know, which has yeah. been nice. And, and also, you know, I had the lucky opportunity in this, this time and age to, to be a guide to others who are seeking that, uh, which is a, a beautiful responsibility and, and fun at the same time. Um, but I want to check in with you there too on that, because, you know, cause I, I love you and I love the work that you do and, and I would refer to you any day of the week. And I'm curious what that has been like for you too, to, to control the controllables and find your peace and, and also yeah. you know, kind of take that on. You know, this I mean, this is, this whole thing is, is really forced people to really think about um, not that like the whole world is like, what does a serenity prayer mean? Um, you know, like, <laughs> I think, uh, you know, most people, I don't, uh, I think it's it's a lot of times it's very specific to recovery or AA for that people actively think about that concept, but like it has utility for anyone who breeds. But like um, this thing has really forced people to to reconcile that because like I, it's been a long time I think um, since I've felt uh, like there are periods of time when like at the beginning of it where I was just like in my mind, I had to keep on reminding myself that like, uh, cause in my mind, I would assume it's gonna like, almost like the flu, it's just gonna come and go, you know? Yeah. And like in a couple of weeks or in a month, everything's gonna be fine, we'll be back to normal. And, uh, and then realizing that ah, that's not actually uh, true. Um, and that's not the case. And like learning to, to accept, I guess, to some degree that like, you know, there's this thing, like there's only, there's only so many things that I can do. Like all I can do is, you know, wear a mask, wash my hands, you know, social distance, like, you know, all that stuff. Um, do my thing, spend, you know, raise my kids, spend time with my wife, you know, like exercise, like whatever, whatever my routine or system of living is. And then, you know, uh, let everything else happen as it does. Cause like, I mean, what's the, what's the utility um, in, in obsessing about things, you know, that I can't control. And obviously it gives you the illusion that you can control um, because you feel like you're preparing for it or, or whatnot. Nothing's going to take you by surprise, but like I had to stop looking at the news um, where I would actually limit uh, my, my news intake or just looking at stories because uh, I, I started to realize, like, uh, like what, what is, what would the benefit be in me reading this story? Like, what could I actually take from it? Like, there's only, like, like there's, there's a limited, finite amount of things that I can do that are actually beneficial for me. So, like, by my reading this story about this crazy case about this random guy 
uh, wherever he lives who has this crazy set of symptoms that ended up being COVID and then he died and like, you know, all this stuff, like while it's tragic, obviously, and I'm not to minimize anything like that, but like what benefit do I have outside of just knowing that that story exists? But then like when I think about when I read that story, then all I do is start hyper obsessing about like, Oh, just for a second there, I had to take a, a deep breath. Uh, do uh, yeah. am I am I dying? Like, am I do I have COVID? Like, uh, should I go to the hospital? Like, am I gonna infect my wife? Is my kid gonna have something? Like, like the only benefit that it would bring me is just uh, rumination or perseveration, whatever word you want to use, and uh, just for, for what for what benefit? You know, like it, it was just fucking with me, and just like, and that's where I had to like truly reconcile, like that's one of the things I can control is the, the amount of uh, irrelevant, at least for me specifically information that I take in uh, so that I can maintain some, some sense of uh, peace of mind or, or serenity to the oh. degree that that is within my, my realm of control. That was one of the first places, you know, I started and, you know, with working with my caseload, right. With, with my clients who come in for private practice and also at the treatment center I work at, was uh, making sure that we're checking in on, you know, no unnecessary watching of the news, right? Because of the rhetoric that exists here. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying the news is the worst thing in the world, uh, but during times like this, it could be probably one of the top things to, to uh, mess with your mental health. You know, and I, and I don't mean throw you into this uncontrollable state, but if we don't have tools in place, it could throw us into a spiral. That's for sure. Yeah. Um, and I think you were just highlighting that beautifully, what that could look like. And I, I've talked to countless people where that was their exact experience. You know, they had to stop watching the news. Um, I, I think that's a big one, you know, and that, that I think is something that, you know, during COVID time, which is still going on, the reminder here, if you're listening to this is stay away from the news for now, right? Get, get your information on world events somewhere else at this time, you know, and, because there, there seems to be, uh, you know, just some things going on there that are messing with peace. And, and I know that enough by listening to countless reports over and over again of people who are watching it and, and going into those spirals of like, oh, do I have the symptoms? Oh, my God, does this person down the street possibly have this? It says it's coming to my town. Oh, my God, it's in Wuhan. Is it going to be in Newport next? Right. It's like you go down the rabbit hole and like you, you, you jump to these conclusions. and, and uh, that's what our brain does, you know, yeah. it's, what, it's not unique to any one human. That's what our brain does. And, um, you know, it's a good invitation and I think a good reminder to, to stay away from it right now. I mean, and it really forces people to really think about the Trinity Prayer and the principles that it actually teaches, because I think a lot of people, anyone who's, who's watched any sports movie or played sports or football or basketball, or baseball, or whatever, uh, there's a lot of teams prior to a game, they mindlessly say the Lord's Prayer. You know, like our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. You know, etc. Um, and but you never, yeah, exactly. Like you never stop and think about what that prayer actually means or what it's talking about. Like it's just it's kind of become a tradition, so to speak. And which is what the Serenity Prayer has become within treatment centers, where it's just this thing you mindlessly uh, say or regurgitate. Yeah, it's like painted and cursive on the walls and like beautiful writing. Uh-huh. <laughs> But it's funny because I've done groups where I literally, uh, and it's so profoundly simple, which I think is the beauty of it. I think a lot of the most effective things are really simple. Um, but like, 
the where I just have them say the prayer and then I have them stop and, and actually, okay, like, let's think about something going on in your life right now. Now I want you to apply this principle to it. And it's, it was always shocking to me how in a group setting, we're just, just applying the, the serenity prayer, you know, uh, to, to something going on that's like affecting them in, a, in some sort of a significant fashion. And it was like groundbreaking for them where they realized that like, oh yeah, I'm obsessing about something that literally there's nothing I can do about it. And this one thing that I can do, I'm neglecting to do uh, because I'm so overwhelmed by this thing, you know? And uh, it's it was always shocking. Like, it was like I was in a room of people who had all said that thing a thousand times and they had never thought not to be disparaging towards anyone because I've done it myself, but like, never thought to actually slow down enough to actually apply it. Uh, yeah. you, know, and you hear that a lot in any treatment center. Like, Oh, I know what I need to do. Um, I know <laughs> yeah. I could, I've done these groups so many times I could teach myself. I, I could do these groups, you know, right. but like, uh, no one, the, 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 the disconnect is in the actual application and having the discipline to do so. Yeah. You know, and, and, and I don't ever doubt that statement. That's the funny thing is right. Like you and I have talked about that concept a million times. We've come across a lot of people who've been in a lot of treatment and, or have the bandwidth and are really intelligent to teach these concepts. Yeah. I think the conversation for any of us, like, look, I've, I've got, you know, multiple degrees on the wall back here and I still had to go to Alan on to figure out what I couldn't see for myself. I had to mm -hmm. check my perspective against the perspective of someone else who's gone through the same shit. Right. Someone who's been down the road a little bit further than me who could tell me like, yeah, that that was probably stupid. Right. Yeah. And, and it took a long time in the beginning for me to be like, you know, yeah, you're right. You know, it's a, it's a huge ego thing. Right. You got to let go of it. And, and that's another conversation, too. Right. Of like letting go of your ego. What a, what a whole nother rabbit hole. We could probably talk until the sun comes up about that concept of not just letting go and what that looks like and how do I do that? Where do I get to a point in my life where I can let things go, but also then let go of your ego, right? What is my ego? You know? Well, the yeah. ego is anything that tells you that you're better than anybody else, right? Or different than anybody else. Right? And that's a yeah. trick, right? Because look at the state of the world that we're in right now, right? Mm -hmm. Look at the things that are unfolding. There's, you know, riots and protests because, because people are different. And, and that's just bullshit because we're not, we're all human, right? We're all human. And, and that, right, as a therapist, has been real interesting to take a deep breath on. Um, and how do I use my voice in that? I think that's the message I've come to uh, overwhelmingly. And it hasn't changed, I think, even prior to being a therapist is, you know, whatever you look like, you and I have a heart and it beats the same and we breathe the same oxygen. And, and that's really where it ends. You know, that's it, right? Like, hey, how are you doing? You know, my name's Alan. Yeah. Couldn't agree more shoot we are uh i always i always wrestle with how to properly say this but i think i mean we're all uh similarly different you know and that like uh we're all unique uh, but we all come from different places have different backgrounds different experiences different skin tone you know heritages are, heritages are different ethnicities are different but you know the the, the you know obviously the unifying factor is, is the humanity um, that we're all uh, human, um, but uh, we can get caught up in so many of these differences and then creating a hierarchy based on those differences and then uh, just obviously breeds a whole lot of emotional pain. But. Yeah.
you know, it, it really does. And I, I was just talking to my sponsor about that too, like this concept. Like my sponsor's, uh, he's almost 70 years old and he's an Hispanic guy, right? So like talk about two different walks of life, right? Two different experiences, at least like culturally. But the funny thing is, is when we get down to brass tacks and talk about our emotions, we talk about the home that we grew up in. My God, that guy understands what I went through and I understand what he went through on a lot of levels. Um, and you know, I'm, I'm talking about, you know, from the sense of like the alcoholic home kind of side of things, right. Culturally, there's a whole different conversation there. And, and I get to ask those questions and be curious, uh, the same way he gets to ask me and be curious. Um, but God damn it. When you really boil down to the things that matter the most, like the things that would keep you up at night, right. That, that we all go through in, in different capacities. Those are the places where with this guy who's walked a completely different life, uh, probably knows me the best right now, yeah. you know, and, and vice versa. Cause we're, we're opening up and being open and honest about things. Yeah, exactly. It's beautiful. You know, what I think is beautiful is, is how you were saying that keeping it simple, right. In the groups and, and doing that kind of serenity prayer breakdown, right? Like, I, I think that's a good invitation for the people who are listening. Like what a, what a powerful thing you could just do at the comfort of your home with a journal, right? Like mm -hmm. take a situation that, that's causing you trouble and uh, apply the serenity prayer to it for 10 minutes and see if you come up with any different uh, uh, circumstances or scenarios. I mean, that's the, that's the, uh, the beauty of it all too. It's like, uh, it's just allowing yourself to have the time to like stop one and allow yourself to think about a situation and actually uh, reflect on it so that you can uh, respond to it as opposed to react. You know, I think, uh, much of life is just muscle memory, you know, and uh, but we don't give any mind to the fact that maybe the, the wrong muscles are firing, you know, and like, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, maybe our body learned to do something the wrong way. You know, it's like when you go to like a, a, a lesson uh, for golf or any any like even pitching, you know, from from your vantage point, someone can come in and like, you know, this is how I do it. And then right. the the pitching coach looks at him and is like, well, <laughs> I mean, that is, that is that is definitely an option, but you're never going to get the result that you want if you continue to do it that way, you know. And so, and then they like show you the, obviously the the correct uh, form, and then it's just like this having this intentional practice to to put that try to ultimately get to that form um but i mean it, it's it's much the same thing i mean there's so many helpful metaphors or analogies but like it's much the same thing in this you know it's actually allowing yourself to stop and think and look at something from multiple vantage points and perspectives and look at all the potential consequences and and really realize what it is you want and then make a make a response instead of just mindlessly uh you know reacting to to all the things that are happening in your life that'll obviously uh continue in the same direction unless we actually make the choice to stop and think about and make a contrary one yeah yeah respond versus react mm -hmm. you know so so someone someone comes into your office andrew and and they're new to this process and they're they're looking to get something out of therapy and you're sitting there knowing, you know, hey, I work in a treatment center, right? I may not have a lot of time with this one individual. What's an intervention that you like to go to that you know, like, hey, if I plant this seed or, or utilize this intervention, I, I know I've, I've at least given something or made an offering to this individual that they could take with them. I hate to put you on blast like that, but I know, I know you're chock full of them. Um, I'd, love to, I'd love to hear one um, also so I could steal it as well. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, 
Let's see here. Um, you know, I mean, one of the, I mean, when I know I'm going to have someone, I mean, I mean, this is, there's just so many, so it's hard to choose and I'm, I'm, I might not even pick, I might even be, might not even be remembering one that I've done that's been the most profound, but like, um, or helpful, but like a lot of times I think people come in and they assume what you're going to say. Um, and they assume, you know, like you're going to tell them, you know, you should probably quit using heroin. Um, and it's not, in, you know, it's not in your best interest. That sounds like uh, or, a good idea. <laughs> you know, like, or, or, or even just like, uh, what, what, what do you think you're trying to like, uh, what do you, why do you think you're using the heroin? Like, what's the underlying, like, even that's become cliche where. Oh, for sure. Um, for sure. You know, like, I don't fucking know. You tell me it's why I'm paying you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and then we cuss at each other and they're done. But like, um, obviously that's not true, but like, uh, <laughs> a lot of times it, it, it's, it's similar to what you were talking about earlier where like, I, I think a lot of people have, have very rarely ever had the experience where like they, they come in and they tell you the God's honest truth about what they're doing, how they're doing it, why they're doing it. Um, they're, and they're even their, their plan and intent to continue doing it. And it's very rare for someone to say something that for much of humanity will, would sound just heinous, you know, or just like, oh, why would you do that? You know, or like, what the fuck? And like, to actually, A, be validated for it, but then to like, not try to talk them out of it, where you just like, actually give them the sense of like, permission, if you will, like, yeah, man, I mean, uh, I understand why you're doing it. And it's completely within your power to continue doing so like if that's what you feel you need to do like uh, obviously there, there, there's risks and there's pros and cons to whichever direction you're going to choose to go but like um, and getting them I mean I think a for one thing a lot of times when people actually come into contact with someone that they they respect or they enjoy or I mean that's the first thing I mean I, I I think implicitly, I've never really thought about this, but like the first thing I try to do with a client is to get them to laugh. Um, and mm. I think I'm like good at that. Um, so like, I'd say so. I think I, I can, I can assess people's sense of humor and then I can deliver the goods as required. Um, <laughs> um, it's so, the bill. It's the bill. <laughs> in order, I think that's honestly one of my most, and I don't mean to sound arrogant when I say this, but I think I'm, I'm very good at, at that. Um, but like, yeah, yeah. Calm down, calm down. <laughs> I, I want to say that again um but like uh i think i'm really good at that. just kidding but like um <laughs> i would i would agree though i mean on a side note I, I really would i think it's a talent and it's a skill of yours um i've seen it in action you know I, I think people gravitate to you for a lot of those things you know and much much more right there's the, the goodies once you peel that layer back to um mm -hmm. that i've, I've been uh, pleased to, to get to know right in, in our friendship I think that's definitely one of your skills is to get people laughing. Yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, cause it, it, I think it's very disarming. Um, it lowers people's anxiety when they actually feel comfortable with you or they actually feel like they can talk with you in a manner that's very similar to the way they would talk to a friend on the street, if you will. Um, and I have a, I can talk uh, pretty uh, uh, inappropriately, if you will, obviously within reason when I'm at work, but like, um, I can connect with people however they talk, I think, but like, 
it's getting them to feel comfortable, getting them to feel normal. Like I want to minimize that, that perception as to like, you know, I'm the expert and they're the, the, the subject that needs to be uh, uh, manipulated into doing something different. Um, but like just having this like real conversation where like, Hey, we can laugh together and then we can quickly transition into talking about the most significant thing that is happening in their life, validating uh, their way of coping, which obviously is not working, but um, it, for them, it's, it is working to a degree um, enough to where they, they maintain it and then validating their, their autonomy to continue doing that thing if they so choose, but at least allowing them to at least open the door and look at like, uh, well, like what, how else could I, what else could I do? Or is there anything I can do to make this less painful? Like, um, is there something else I can look at or something else I can address just so you like, is there something you do want to change? It doesn't have to be this thing, but is there something like getting your foot in the door somehow? Um, and then allowing that, 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 that thought to, to kind of planting a seed, I guess you could say that like, you know, Cause a lot of people, I think they just, they, a lot of it, they just want to maintain their autonomy. And then once someone validates that and like, they actually have to face or take the responsibility for their behavior to where like the only person I'm hurting is myself now, you know, like no one is fighting me on this anymore. Like no one is telling me what I should or shouldn't do. People are just, you know, encouraging me to do what's in my best interest. And then like, the behavior tends to lose a lot of its luster where they realize like, Oh, I'm really only hurting myself. You know, like I'm literally living my life as a reaction, as a response, not a response, but like I'm literally dedicating my life to maintaining my autonomy, even though my form of maintaining my autonomy is killing. And when they can realize that like their whole life is just a reaction to someone they don't like a lot of times it allows them to, to um, think about what it is they want regardless of the powers that be that are telling them what they should do you know yeah you know because then, then it brings them that that uh, invitation close to home of you know in that pattern that's unfolded in the people that, that you resent right and, mm -hmm. and really coming in contact with you know, I may resent those people, but once all of it's removed and out of the way, and I don't mean like they're out of your life, I just mean they're out of the perspective in the moment, right? Mm -hmm. You start to realize, man, I, re I really don't like myself. And I'm being really hard on myself. And, and that's a conversation, I think a long-winded conversation of inner child work, right? There's a young part of you in there that was either hurt or wasn't getting needs at a certain point. At least that's the perspective I, I look at, because those are some of the things that have worked for me. And I think there's a million ways to look at it, but I, I really appreciate just kind of shedding light on that intervention of not just utilizing humor, but building rapport and really stepping into that concept that we learned years and years ago. Of it's the relationship that heals, right? No one's going to remember what it is that you did on that Tuesday session five years from now. What they'll remember is that they really connected with you, liked you, and, sh and shared some laughs with you. And I think those are some of the most powerful interventions we can offer as therapists, but also just as humans, as we connect with each other in this fucking crazy time. Yeah. Just laugh, I mean, just have a good time, connect with each other. It's fucking weird out there, people. Let's laugh about it a little bit. It's just, it, it always uh, amuses me like a, like a micro example of like, like I'll be in a group and I can tell 
that someone is either trying to be uh, uh, just obstinate on purpose or they're literally trying to attack me or hurt my feelings by making a fleeting, you know, uh, cold remark or a sarcastic remark or dismissive, demeaning, whatever. Um, and obviously, like, in the moment, like, not reacting, you know, where you're just, like, you, you look at them and uh, you, like, let them say their piece, but then remind them, you know, like, uh, you know, I understand if that's how you feel, but, like, moving forward, you know, this is what is and isn't okay in this group, and I would kindly ask you to, to respect that, you know, and if you can't, um, you know, like, this, is a, this isn't just about you, it's about the whole group, you know, and, like, um, when you don't react and you just kind of uh, allow the behavior um, or allow them to express themselves, even if it's like venom, you know, and you don't give them the reaction they want, when they don't get that reaction, they're like, uh, they're, they're forced to, it like kind of puts a magnifying glass in their behavior where they're like, wow, this guy was really nice to me and I continued to be a dick. Um, and it it really allows them to, to look at themselves like they have to. They're like, this guy didn't do anything to deserve that. And like, it's and then they a lot of times they'll come after and like look man I'm, I'm sorry you know it was actually this is what was going on and i was just acting out or lashing out at you or you were just the first person i came across or whatever and then they actually go about trying uh, to be respectful more respectful in my groups thereafter um because i didn't like come at them hard or have like this real power and control response where I'm like, you're going to do this. And if you don't, you're out of here, you know, like, yeah. you know, like it's, <laughs> get out. Um, <laughs> Unacceptable. I don't accept your apology. And it's, it's similar. It's similar in, uh, in that the, the previous example I gave where like when people, uh, they come in doing, doing the thing that's obviously damaging or hurtful. And uh, when someone doesn't react to it or, or have this really strong reaction to them and they're they're finally able to accept responsibility for their behavior like no this isn't my mom's fault my dad's fault like i'm literally making my life miserable and i'm the one doing it like um, there's a lot of change that can come on the other corner of that realization yeah you know and that that's a lot of, i think of the conversation on the al-anon side of things or the the term you were using earlier too which fits perfectly with with program is codependency right is the more we can remove ourselves from the path of someone else right or trying to get in the way of their self-discovery or growth right because it fits a pattern for us right and, and, and I know that's a big concept right of trying to reach our hands into someone else's life because we feel like we might be the ones to be able to help and change and fix them the invitation in our recovery right and in our mental health is that we never had that kind of power no one does it doesn't exist it doesn't exist and anyone who tries to exert that power has to use force typically right yeah. and, and when we we buy into that false narrative right of of oh yeah this someone else has the control or i have the control what we're really doing is getting in the way of our growth it's we're getting in the way of our mental health right what is this like like you were saying when i when when you didn't respond uh, to those individuals in, in a negative fashion or in a hurtful way in response, they were able to then realize like, Hey, I'm sorry, this guy was really nice to me. I'm going to go and apologize and make an amends and also be able to identify while I'm apologizing to this guy. I think it was actually some of these other things back here that were contributing to it. Mm -hmm. And, and that's right. When we can remove ourselves from the blockages that others are creating and not create another block ourselves, then they actually get to look at their behaviors. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's 
I don't know. It's always it's always interesting because like your your initial question, you know, like what's what's something that you you know you do, yeah. and to be honest, like I don't I don't know if I'm a very technique driven uh, therapist, um, and I think it's one of the things that I want to work on and improve is getting more uh, quote unquote techniques. But um, like obviously, I do have I have techniques, you know, like grounding exercises, mindfulness, and and sure. other things that I think help a lot. But like. Um, I don't really, a lot of times I don't really come in with, with an agenda per se outside of like, honestly, motivational interviewing, like understanding, I think, honestly, I think if, if you can tap into what someone wants and help them realize why they want it, a lot of times people will, will, will do it um, on yeah. their own thereafter, you know, like they'll just, it's like you opened a door they didn't realize and they're like, oh shit, yeah, um, this is, this is actually what I want and this is getting in the way of it. Um, when they stop fighting against people and they realize like what they're doing isn't actually helping them uh, get what they want So like, um, or just trying to actually help them understand. Like, um, I mean, I think this works for anyone. A lot of people come to, to therapy being like, Oh, I want my anxiety to go away or I want my depression to go away. And this is like uh, much more akin to like act principles where it's, it's not necessarily getting rid of things, but actually learning how to live with them and still living a value-driven uh, life, um, despite having these things that are painful or, or difficult. You know, instead of trying to eradicate problems, it's, it's learning to, to, to change your relationship to them so that you can continue to live in a way that that is meaningful for you. Um, and well, I want to pause there just for a moment, right? For for those who might be listening who don't know what ACT is, A-C-T. Could you give a, a brief description? It doesn't have to be like the by the book description, but just your brief description on what that is for, for our valued listeners. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, it's developed by Stephen Hayes. He's a psychologist and he's a professor at University of Nevada, Reno or something like that. But, You're getting, it's, um, it's breaking up just a little bit. I'm not sure the, the sound. Bah, bah, bah. Bah, 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 bah. No, that's um, But, and, and I'm not like an authority on it. I mean, there's a lot, there's principles about it that I really enjoy. And um, there's, it's one of the, it's actually one of the modalities that I, if anything, if I go to a training for anything, it'll be for this, um, where I can really learn a lot more about it. But, um, you know, it stands for acceptance and commitment therapy, which, mm. you know, a lot of it, it sounds pretty cut and dry when you say it like that, but like, uh, there's a lot of power in this thing. It's like, you know, instead of trying to, uh, remove or, or get rid of like what I was saying earlier, our problems or discomfort or anxiety or depression, grief, like all these things, instead of trying to make these things go away um, and just, which is, which is the, the, the issue is that obviously we're wanting to change our relationship to them. Um, and a lot of times the pain comes not from the actual symptom, so to speak, but in the, the, the fight that we, we, we employ to get rid of that uncomfortable system. It's like in the, what they call the experiential avoidance, you know, where we're trying so hard to get away from our pain and our suffering, which then creates pain and suffering. Um, and it's learning to accept that, that these things are happening. Uh, these things are difficult, they're painful, they're hard, and they honestly, they're going to continue to happen. Like. Um, and it's important that we learn uh, ways of coping, but also learning um, ways of accepting uh, that these things are present. And, uh, you know, we 
learning to stop avoiding these things and allowing these feelings to happen. And, but also identifying our values, identifying what it is that we want to stand for, the type of person we want to be, where do we want to go? Um, like what are our, our core values, if you will, which a lot of people I don't think really ever explicitly identify, which can be very helpful. Like wh who is the type of person that I want to be? And when you, when you can figure that out, it can actually help to guide and inform your behavior, regardless of whether you're feeling uh, up to that behavior or not, you know, and uh, learning to live with the discomfort um, instead of just trying so hard to avoid it. Because, I mean, regardless of what, what anyone thinks, like uh, every emotion is good. Like uh, a lot of people, they, they, I think, haphazardly say like, depression anxiety grief are, are are bad or negative but every emotion serves a utility and every emotion allows you to see what's going on and, and what you know what your relationship to what is going on is you know like and it allows you to see like what do i care about what what am i afraid of what what do i i need to get better at or what am i afraid is going to happen and like if we actually learn to to look and experience and feel our emotions it can actually guide Right. us and, and our behavior quite a bit you know um, but also not being dictated by those emotions or dictated by those thoughts like literally it's almost like you have a board of trustees and you're taking in all of this data and you're like okay that's that's helpful that's interesting that's good but then still having like this executive branch that's going to look at all of this data like looking at the thoughts looking at uh, the feelings and, and taking all of that into consideration and being like okay I'm feeling this way but you know, I value this, so I'm going to continue to do this, uh, regardless if I, whether I feel up to it or not, you know? Right. You know, I think our society has vilified not just emotions, but mental health, right? Our thought process, right? Negative thoughts, negative feelings, right? Mm -hmm. and, and look, I'm not going to knock it too hard, because I think there's a lot of brilliant people that have been able to share a lot of brilliant theories in the field. Um, but when it becomes widespread, as it has, I, I think as long as we're fighting our in internal experience as long as we view that as a battle right i think the further away we're going to push our ability to sit with that pain right mm -hmm. i'm fighting to keep you away when the reality the paradox is the closer we bring that pain in and sit with it uh, underneath that is usually the healing process that's where the power is that's where all the goodness is is when we peel those layers back and and sit with the pain uh, underneath that is usually the healing I mean, it's, it, that's the other thing too, is like, uh, a lot of times the only way through an emotion, like the only way to overcome a distressing situation or emotion is to experience it to the full, you know? And like the, the like having this like welcome or, or healthy understanding of emotion, like anxiety means that you are concerned about something. Right. Uh, you're worried about something happening and I'm not going to be able to, to, to deal with it or it's going to overtake me. Like, Anxiety is an emotion that implies that you care, which is a good thing. Like depression is an emotion that implies that there was something that you had that, that provided great meaning and value and worth to you that you lost, you know, and you're struggling with the difficulty of, of moving on without this thing or person or whatever that meant so much to you. Like grief, bereavement, like all of these things like all of these emotions operate you know on a continuum you know like obviously joy peace happiness those are the most enjoyable you know like they feel good but 
anytime you have those emotions on the other end of the continuum is, is the one that happens when, when those things are amiss or if something interferes or, or shit happens, you know, uh, which inevitably it does, like, uh, you can't have one without the other. And, uh, they both, they both serve as utility and it's, uh, learning to, uh, kind of accept, uh, the, the, those feelings that aren't necessarily enjoyable and learning to, to, you're experiencing those because you actually have uh, you have uh, uh, cards in the game, if you will, or like I, I fucked that up. But like you're actually you have you're playing a hand. You know, you're actually caring. Um, if you weren't having those emotions, it would mean that you're you're a sociopath who's just doesn't give right. um, You know, right? So. Which is a low percentage, right? You know, yeah. we don't need to go into all that, but like, I love that oh, yeah. conversation in society, right? I think because it's become like a fucking popular thing. You turn on Netflix and what are the most trending things on Netflix is, you know, documentaries and, and new fun shows about psychopaths. And, and, then, and then you hear people in society like, oh yeah, he's just a psychopath. Like, no, I'm pretty sure if your neighbor was a psychopath, you, he'd be plotting to fucking murder you and you would have been dead 10 years ago, right? But you'd live next to this guy for 25 years and he hasn't killed anybody, right? He's not a sociopath. He's not a psychopath. I'm not saying that all sociopaths and psychopaths are murderers, right, yeah. either. But I'm telling you right now, Joe Schmo down the street, who's probably a little bit narcissistic, is not a psychopath. He just is cut off from an emotional experience because he's telling himself he's better than you. <laughs> That's what it is. Joe Schmo thinks he's fucking better than you. That doesn't make him a sociopath. It doesn't make it sick, right? He's not. Yeah. And that can become perverted. Right, and that can become yeah. a problem real quick. But he's not a sociopath. He's probably yeah, a narcissist. He's, a, he's, right? a, he's an he's prick. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's a fucking yeah. asshole. Joe is an asshole. <laughs> uh, what a guy! What a guy! So this is this is a question I ask uh, everyone I bring on here. I know you and I have had a lot of conversations about this topic, and and we've also read a lot of similar things and shared our experience about different books. But if you had to boil it down to one, to one book that you think is the most to you inspiring that you've read in this field that has inspired your work the most, what book would that be? Oh, God. It's <laughs> <laughs> like you just pulled my pants down and threw a wrench at my, <laughs> my crotch. Um, let's see. <laughs> hopefully, uh, hopefully the kids aren't listening to this. Yeah. We have a cup on. Um, <laughs> Let's see here. I mean, and it's not necessarily like a therapy book, but sure. it's the book that like has quotes in it that like just stick with me um, the most often that I've like actually like really started pouring into um, and like creating my own outline and notes of all the chapters, but the Bible. Um, uh, <laughs> uh, the, the, the book of Leviticus. Um, but uh, I would say it's the road less traveled. Honestly. Oh, shit. Hold on one second. Hold on. <clears throat> there, there it is. is. There it is. See, table. dude, you know, yeah, we're, yeah, we're on the same page, man. What a wonderful is, his way of, of describing things and breaking things down and making very therapeutic uh, principles very approachable or relatable or digestible to, to anyone uh, who, who cares. Uh, it's, uh, I mean, there's, there's so many lines in that, but one, the one line that I always, I, I this all the time at work, it's, um, uh, 
he talks, uh, it just says, uh, difficulty lies not in the complexity of the tools, but in the will to use them. And it's, that always has so much uh, utility for me because it's so often where people know what to do. They know how to do it. Uh, the problem isn't the knowledge. The problem is not having the will to employ those tools, to, to use them or to, to put them into practice. And like, but like, all that to say, that's just a quote. That, that quote, like literally, uh, it's always banging around in my dome. Or in the first section of the first chapter where it literally, it's three words. And it just says, life is difficult. Yeah. And he's like, once you can accept that life is difficult, a lot of the problems that you face lose a lot of their power. Because right. a lot of the problems, my, my, a lot of the issue is not necessarily that there's problems, but in the fact that in our minds, we uh, seem to believe that there shouldn't be. And then we have this internal struggle where we're just always feeling that uh, life is unfair or this isn't right. Like I shouldn't be dealing with this. And like, once you can accept, like truly not just like pay lip service, but accept that shit happens and life is hard. Uh, it, it frees you up to it, honestly, to the road to acceptance and then just yeah. refusing yeah. to do what you can about it to take the road less traveled, right? And what's oh. funny, and, and I love the paradox of that, is the road less traveled, once you really uh, accept it, is the road of life, right? And you're mm -hmm. on it, you're on the road, no matter what. The question is, are you gonna open your eyes and realize that you're on that road, right? Yeah. Are you gonna choose to be, you know, in the driver's seat in your journey, right? And there's a lot of other metaphors and different concepts that we could talk about that book, but I love that you chose that book, right? Because before the podcast, you were referring to the picture that I have behind me on the wall in these podcasts, which is a road to the mountains, right? It's just this yeah. you know, majestic picture of the roads to the mountains. And just below that picture, right, if I move my shoulder, is the book, The Road Less Traveled. And, and it's what's in, it's the book and these concepts that has inspired this, the whole concept of this podcast. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, it doesn't surprise me that we're on that same page. I think, you know, you know anyone who's listening who knows us knows how similar in a lot of ways we are, um, but also unique, you know? So yeah. Even, I, just, I, I love that you chose that book. We're both on probation. <laughs> <laughs> I've been on house arrest for the whole eight years. I've been a therapist. Telehealth. <laughs> I'd show you my ankle bracelet. But... <laughs> We're both on a therapist prison release program, but yeah, yeah. So. reformed. We're reforming <laughs> others because we've been reformed. <laughs> reforming the reformed, yeah. Well, remind me of this. So you're you're stepping into private practice, yeah? Uh, relatively speaking, it? yes. No, I, I I am. It's just a matter of execution and timing. Um, I mean, I have. I'm. It's just. It, it's. A, I think it's a direction that I, I naturally want to lead to because. Um, I love treatment, but it does, uh, the, the, there's, there's an, an aspect of how it's run that can be very draining. So, yeah. um, you know, having the freedom and the utility to work with people uh, for how you want, for however long you, you want or they can, um, that is ideal, uh, is much more of a rewarding experience. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, and as you transition into that, and, and if you're listening to this podcast and you've been considering therapy or you know you're out there and you're thinking hey i need to get in contact with a dude who who would understand my experience um or that i would just be able to share some laughs with and build some rapport with and actually get to open up for once about what my experience is i i would highly recommend 
Andrew. I would highly recommend that you look this guy up. I'll have his contact information uh, in the information of this podcast right, with a picture of him smiling just like he was there a moment ago. <laughs> and, and like I said, I, I would recommend this gentleman over a lot of therapists that I've worked with, um, partly because I'm biased and he's my best friend, but also partly because I've worked with him for a lot of years and I know firsthand the quality of his work. Um, and I've watched people uh, dig in and, and be able to do a lot of beautiful work because of the journey that Andrew walks with them. So if you're interested in therapy or you're on the fence, call this guy, reach out in the contact information I put in the description of this podcast. And uh, other than that, damn it, Andrew, thank you for staying up late with me and doing this podcast. And I, I fucking yeah. love you, man. Yeah. Love you too. It's my pleasure. Word. Well, that concludes inspiration boulevard for the evening and uh, we appreciate you guys checking in and listening holler holler Bye. hop that fence yeah. <laughs> <laughs> bye